Happy New Year. And what a year. So I want to share with you all before we begin about a miracle that my wife and I experienced. A miracle. Because the Lord had spoke to me last year and I had shared that with you all that the Lord was calling me, you know, to a particular fast in being earnest in seeking him in the month of January. This only happened one other time and this was in the 80s when um, the gold market crashed in the 80s and um, everything that I had worked for was devalued overnight. And it put us in a particular situation. We were inventory rich but cash flow poor. And as a result, we had to struggle tremendously, you know, to get, to get through that. But the Lord had prepared me in January, and this occurred in April, May of that year. Well, Lord called me to this particular fast again for this year. And on New Year's Day, my house nearly burned down. About 10.30, everything went black. And I went outside to see what, if anyone else's, uh, was, was dark. And my wife had just set the alarm, and as I opened the door, she yelled, don't open the door. Well, it was too late, the alarm set off, so we had to deal with the security people. Go outside, everybody else's lights are on, so I go back in, try to figure why the generator, the Generac, didn't work. It worked for the hurricane. We just had it serviced two weeks ago. Why it didn't come on? So there was some element of frustration. And uh, God bless my wife, but she was fashé. So we walk in the back and she said, do you smell that? I said, no, because I can't smell. I don't smell anything. She said, something's burning. Don't smell it. So I call my son-in-law, whose uncle owns the Generac business, the generator business, so my son-in-law, who was sick, comes over, and I called another friend of mine to come over and to see what the possibly could, could be wrong. Now, this was New Year's Day. And he went and he's talking to the uh, technician over the phone, who happens to be his, actually the manager of the company, his first cousin. His dad owns the business. So he says, take the panel off the back of the generator. And he said, there's a switch on there. He said, no, the switch is on off. He said, what? He said, the switch is on off. He said, that switch should be on auto. So that when the electricity goes out, this kicks on because it's, ga it's fed by natural gas. And he said, it was serviced two weeks ago. He said, I'm going to choose some, somebody out for this. So he did, put it on auto, he did what he was told, then it came on, you know, and then it shut back down. So they went to the meter, the gas meter, I mean the um, electric meter, and the uh, components for the generator on the other side of the house where the, where the electric meter is, and of course it shut down. Can't figure it out. In the meantime, my wife called Sleeker to come and see what was wrong. Sleeker arrives, and they check where the transformer is and see if there's a burnt fuse or anything, but 
trace it back. They come, and when they take the meter, a smell hits them like it's burning. It's like burnt wires. Then they go inside, take the panel out, and it's fried and still hot. And when they looked at it, they said, how did this house not catch fire? Because where it's located on the side of your house by utility room and by the, by the attic, he said, it should have caught fire. So Sleeker cut it off, took the meter off so it wouldn't be fed. And the guy turns and looks at me that works for Sleeker, and he said, you're lucky that it was on off. If it had been on on, it would have still been arcing. So the electrician comes out yesterday, takes it and says, we've got to replace the whole panel box, and says, I don't know how this house didn't catch fire. And how it happened, we don't know. He said there was an oversized wire that was fitted into a smaller break that he believes could be the root, but he can't tell. And he doesn't know when it was done or anything. It could have been like that for a long time. What could have set it off, we don't know. So we started thinking about it. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, because Monday's a holiday. It's the extension of New Year's, which was on a Sunday. That means I'm paying somebody double time plus to come out. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, what is this going to cost me? But when they left, the first thing we did was pray a rosary of thanksgiving and gratitude, quoting scripture that he watches over us. Now, we would just deny the insurance company fixing our windows and denied the cracks in the mortar and everything that it was. wasn't from the storm, it was from settling, which is contrary to everything else, even uh, the ones that pressure washed the house. That was there. So you're dealing with an element or a sense of injustice. And now this. But it's not our house. It's God's house. I'm just a steward. You can't allow your emotions to override your faith. Faith is confident assurance of what we hope for, evidence of things we do not see. So is it a coincidence, chance, luck, or providence that this thing happened to be on off? Because you're caught up in the moment. The revelation comes moment by moment. So one moment, it's a technician's oversight. Then later, it's revealed it was a good thing. It was all. So did God direct him to it? Was it his incompetence? Who put in that wire into that breaker? And yet we had been living there 20 years. Why would it catch at this time? And my wife said, you should have kept your mouth shut. If God was calling you to fast, you shouldn't have said anything to anybody or asked for their prayers. So I laughed about it, and she was saying, does it ever end? Have you ever heard that? Does it ever end? I said, yes. The day we're received into the arms of Jesus, until then, it is called the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith. I say God protected us. Well, now you've got to deal with the finances. That will be taken care of. If God foresaw that. So one of the things we're talking about with, you know, a new year, let's look at this. Now, we have the three theological virtues that you take with you. You take with you hope. In hope are you saved, not by works, least any man should boast. Faith is confident assurance 
of what you hope for, but evidence of things you don't see. But with hope, you don't see it either. But hope is grounded and based in Scripture. It's a difference between hope and wishful thinking. Starlight, starlight, first star, see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have the wish I wish tonight. But faith has to be expressed through love, because God is love. Now, an argument may be made to where a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, atheist, agnostic, liberal, socialist, conservative, left-wing, right-wing, can argue about what they hope for, what they believe in, and that they have love. Try to argue or discuss with someone who is of the same gender relationship that just got married, that their love is insincere, that their love, you know, is not compatible with God's love. And they state they're as much as in love as a heterosexual. One's in the natural, one's in the unnatural. No, it's in the unnatural because a man says it's unnatural. So what are they using as a basis or a standard of truth? So if they're going to be discussing with you, they're going to argue on every point you bring up. Remember, you can't convince anybody. You can't change anyone. All you can do is inform people. You give them the information. But they're rejecting and they're questioning what you're offering. So what are you going to do? How can you stand and enlighten them inasmuch by the power of the Holy Spirit to let them see the light. Because they have the right to reject it. They have the right to question you. But what, in the meantime, is it doing for you? Is it making you feel inadequate because you don't have all the answers? Is it making you have a sense of inferiority because of their intelligence or their argumentation? Are they making you question your faith? Bad company corrupts good morals. But what are you going to use to challenge them when they're saying, I have hope, and I have faith, and I have love, but it's not as you deem it. I have faith in Krishna. George Harrison, my sweet Lord, is about Harry Krishna. So the question is, in this new year, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be witnesses. Are you equipped? Are you prepared? Scripture says, for such a mission as this, who is really qualified? God calls the unqualified because he qualifies us. He equips us. And Scripture says, don't worry what you're to say for when the time presents itself, it won't be you, but be a spirit. But how is it affecting you? What is making it question your faith, your hope, your love? You think you're influencing them or are they influencing you? Is your faith rising, or is doubt beginning to settle in because of their argumentation? Are you truly settled in what you believe? But more than that, are you settled in who you believe in? Who? That's the difference. You can go to Mohammed's crypt in Mecca. Pilgrims go there all the time. But Christians go on a pilgrimage to an empty tomb. Mohammed's body still in that crypt. Jesus isn't in his. So the reality is what you really believe in. So we're called to simply inform, but Jesus said we also must 
what? Reform. And in the time of reforming, there's a transitional period of time to where you become transformed so that you can conform into the likeness and the image of Jesus more readily. One of the first key areas is we talk about resolution. And in resolutions, it is the act or process of resolving something or breaking it up into constituent parts or elements. So to resolve something means to break into separate constituent elements or parts and analyze. Romans 13. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're living in faith, or perhaps maybe you failed the test. What in our life may be hindering, restricting Almighty God's move in our life? Jesus' theme, Mark chapter 1. Reform your lives, believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What in our life needs to be reformed, transformed, and conformed? We talk about personality, characteristic traits. What are you known for? Who do people know you as and for what? We're called to be a peculiar people. Does it upset you when people say you're kind of odd or strange or are you losing your mind? You're a Jesus freak? Does it bother you that there are those that misunderstand you, reject you, question you, challenge you? It's not so much people that question us, it's the people that challenge us. Oh, you think you're so holy? Oh, you think you got it together? Let's look at your life. Let's talk about you. Just because Satan has the gun doesn't mean you've got to give him ammunition. So is God calling us to a deeper walk, a deeper relationship? It's a new year. So analyze your life and examine it. But what is the standard you're going to use to analyze your life with? It has to be truth. Am I walking in the light? Am I living in truth? Or am I living in deception? How many people we associate with, we identify with, whose lives are contrary to their speech? They say one thing, but act in a different way. When you come down to the core Put aside the facade, put aside any element of masquerade, what is in the depths of your heart and what you truly believe. The gospel stands contrary to this world. We're in the world, we're not of the world. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. As for myself, brothers, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming God's testimony with any particular eloquence or wisdom. So it wasn't an intellectual contest. No, I determined. Now Paul determined. He set his mind that while I was with you, I would speak nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's talking about the crucifixion. And with the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, 
the coming of the Holy Spirit. When I came among you, it was in weakness and fear and with much trepidation. Now notice what he's saying. Corinth is a port city. Greece is almost in half. Corinth stands at this juncture. And their main idol is Aphrodite, Venus, the goddess of L'Amour, love. And at a port city, what do you find? Wine, women, and song. Okay? I mean pleasure. Sensual pleasure. The flesh. My message and my preaching had none of the persuasive force of wise argumentation, but the convincing power of the Spirit. He didn't say the power of the Spirit. He said the what? convincing power of the Spirit. As a consequence, your faith rests not on the wisdom of men, but what? And that's the difference. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Scripture says the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And he's given us a sound mind, not a spirit of fear, He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So if you're experiencing little bouts of dementia, uh, memory loss, continue quoting scripture. Lord, you gave me a sound mind. Amen? But a power. Where is it evident in the church today? I'm asking you. Where is the convincing power of the Holy Spirit evident today? Remember, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. The anti-Christian forces are getting all the attention. And you know what? It doesn't bother them whatsoever what you think, say, or do. It's irrelevant. Results don't matter to them. Results don't matter. They come up with excuses. Not reasons, excuses. Or excuses of pretended reason. But they justify themselves, their ideology. Results don't matter. Convincing power. Evangelism is one-on-one. Evangelism begins with ourselves. How effective and efficient are we influencing people by our life? Not so much your words, but by your life. I shared with you about this miracle. The Bible says that the works of God are to be made public. Oh, wait, worship, that faith, that's between me and God. That's private. No, it's not. No, it's not. Many died for their witness. The word martyr means witness. But how many paid the ultimate price in their life because of their testimony? What are we holding on to that's preventing, hindering, or restricting us from sharing Christ? If you preach to me one more time, You'll never see me again. Well, I'll pray for you. But what if it's your child? What if it's your grandchild? What if it's one of your closest friends? What about at that point? Is there anything in your life that can hinder the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? It's kind of like your arteries. Do you have plaque build up anywhere? Do you need a stent? Maybe a bypass? Or... God, not only does he give you a new heart, but he gives you all the arteries, the vessels, the capillaries, the valves, 
To what degree are we seeking Him? So in Bible study, the question is, the one thing that you're going to stand upon is truth. But they deem what they hope for, what they believe in, and as they love, is truth. But God proves Himself. He's faithful. But are we earthly minded or heavenly minded? Can you see the hand of God? Can you hear His voice? Because when the moment presents itself, worry not what you are to say, for when the time presents itself, it shall not be you, but be my Spirit who speaks through you. And if the Spirit speaks, there is power. And the reason there is power is because of authority. We're children of God. Do you realize the position we hold in this world? These signs shall accompany those that have professed their faith in my name, because we belong to him, you will expel demons. But why are Christians so intimidated? It's like the pro-life movement, to some degree many, now that Roe versus Wade was overturned, they got a great thing, they went back to sleep. No, the fight continues. Satan doesn't give up. There has to be perseverance and endurance to the end. If you're going to put out a fire, put out the fire. Or, you can have hot spots and reignite. You have received a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So, to what degree are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? When God gave us the Holy Spirit, what happened? They just simply did not come to a place of what? Didn't they pray? One day in prayer? What were they praying for? How were they praying? How individually were they praying for? Their lives were at stake. They crucified Jesus. They're looking for them. How would they be praying? Jesus said, wait until you're endowed with power. Then go witness. You don't go witness and then look for the power. You got the power when you go witness. But what were they praying for individually? For their families? For their safety? For their future? For their life? For boldness? For courage? What were they praying for? What were they reflecting upon? Peter, I denied the Lord. Lord, I can't afford to deny you anymore. Jesus stayed with them 40 days, proving to them he was alive. 40 days it took convincing them that he was alive. Why? Because the mind interpreted what the eyes saw when he was scourged, what the eyes saw when he was crucified, what the eyes saw when that Roman spear pierced his side, when they took him off the cross, when they buried him. What their mind was interpreting from the sensory information given from the ears and the eyes, the smell, the taste, the touch. But in a moment, as they're reflecting upon all of this, they were what? They were transformed. Was it through their effort or God? Huh? But weren't they seeking Him? Were they obedient to what He told them? Stay in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power, then go be my witnesses? You know, let's look at this. How many left? Remember the road to Emmaus? Jesus was crucified. They're going back. The two of them because they're disappointed. What was it that touched their heart? He explained to them the scriptures that pertained to him. 
And they said, was not his words burning in our hearts? And at the elevation of the bread, he disappears. The scales fall off their eyes. They're understanding. They're jubilant. What did they do? They went back to Jerusalem. Now, that's before Pentecost. They went right back to where all the trouble is. They went right back to an area where they're being hunted down. When they chose, with that revelation of Christ, to go back, their life was in peril. Now, were they negligent on the fact that, well, what about your family? You're not thinking about them? You're only concerned with yourself? Why would you go back to that place when they're looking for you to kill you and possibly crucify you like they did Jesus? You're one of his followers. They weren't truly transformed until Pentecost. What did Jesus do? He what? He shared the scriptures. He explained it to them. He did what? He informed them. But they were also going to be in prayer. Now Jesus appears 40 days to convince them that he is alive. Read Acts chapter 1. But there has to be a transformation. That transformation came with the Holy Spirit because God was conforming them into his likeness and in his image. The reality is not how much God is in you, how much are we in God. So when we are looking to reform, to bring correction, we need discipline, but discipline, you know, your will will only bring you to a certain place. You need grace to help carry you over. To what degree are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you in power? Or does rationale, logic and reason, sense of insecurity or inferiority hinder you? Because if you're basing on what you know to share, you're in trouble. It's the convincing power of the Holy Spirit. So this year... In Bible study, we're looking to develop growth in the Spirit. When you lay hands and you're praying for the sick, are you anticipating them getting better? When you go somewhere and you sense a demonic oppression and you're taking authority, do you know as a child of God that in the name of Jesus they must obey, not might? When you stand before those who contradict your words, can you still remain at peace and pray? What evidence in your life shows me the power of God at work? If I was to ask you, show me, what would it be? Are you known as a miracle worker? Are you known as a healer? A prophet, a prophetess, a reader of souls? What are you known for? What's your character? What are you known for? What is that element that we speak about in character now? I'm going to ask if you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Epistle of St. John in the back of the Bible. Before Jude, 1 John chapter 2. Children of God, verse 28. Remain in him now, little ones, so that when he reveals himself, we may be fully, what? Who's the healer? Who's the deliverer? Who's the baptizer? It's God, isn't it? So that we may be fully confident. When God reveals himself through you, through me, through us, if people need to hear from Jesus, if they need to see Jesus, all they got to do is look at you. In your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
Well, that means your eyes, your facial expression, your body language. If your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and not retreat in shame at His coming. When the moment presents itself, if you consider the holiness that is His, you can be sure that everyone who acts in holiness has what? Been begotten by Him. Now, let's look at chapter 3. See what love the Father has bestowed on us in letting us be called children of God. Letting us. The privilege, the honor. Do we deserve it? No. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It's a gift of God. Yet, that is what we are. The reason, very important, the reason why the world does not recognize us is that it never recognized the Son. They're in deception. Dearly beloved, we are God's children when? When I behave myself, when I am in church, or now in any and all circumstances of my life. The good, the bad, the ugly. But this is the key. What we shall later be has yet not come to light. We know that when it comes to light, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him, not your intellect, not on your financial standing, not on your, quote, quote, personal holiness, good deeds. It's on him. Keeps himself pure as he's pure. So let's look at reform. Are we walking in holiness? Scripture says we're already holy. No, not you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the temple of God is holy. He deems us holy. We're his children. But it doesn't mean we're walking in holiness. That doesn't mean that the people you look up to are walking in holiness. Like Charlie Rich said, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. So we speak about this particular element of holiness. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, remember? The three friends... The middle one went, brewed a coffee, Philemon and James, PJs, he was wearing pajamas. So he went brewed, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1, therefore, since we fall apart, are surrounded by these cloud of witnesses. Wherever you go, understand this, people observe you. How many times people said, I wish I was a little fly on the wall. To hear what was really going on? No. God is going to draw attention to you. Because you belong to him. We're his witnesses in this world. But people need encouragement. And we draw encouragement from one another. We draw inspiration from one another. Encourage each other daily that through the deceit of sin you may not fall away from your sincere and complete devotion to Christ. We're called to help encourage you. But we could talk about the angelic realm. You could talk about heaven. You could talk about the ones on earth. But the reality is, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every encumbrance of sin which clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies ahead. Sin clings to you. We're sinners, but we're redeemed sinners. We are redeemed sinners. And you have to be careful. Sin clings to us. 
like static electricity when you're drying something. So you put in a bounce or some kind of fabric softener. You ever try to take something out of the dryer and you pull it apart and you hear the static electricity? That sends like Velcro. But the fact is, we're striving. And the reality is, we're in need of a Savior. And our Savior is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. He's risen. We just read in 1 John, what we are to be is yet not known to us. What is heaven going to be like? Scripture says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it dawned upon man inasmuch as what God has prepared for those who love him. What is our hope based on? What are we going to be? We're children of God, we know that, but why has God hidden everything from us that is yet to be? Why? I want to know, what is heaven like? Give me a clear, concise, precise description. Give me a synopsis. What am I going to be when I'm in heaven? Because heaven right now is only temporary. It's a holding place. Netherworld, Sheol, Hades, it's temporary. It's a holding place. What's the permanent place? The second death. The pool of burning fire. Where Satan, the fallen angels, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, and whoever's name is not found in the Lamb's book of the living, that's their fate. And John said, Behold, I saw from heaven a holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to where? Earth. But yet in Second Peter 3, it says this earth and all its elements is going to be destroyed. But God has a plan. And it's going to be remade. And you're going to get glorified bodies. Imagine. No wrinkles. No moles. No one's going to be bald, unless everybody else is bald in heaven. But he said, I've counted the numbers of your hair. What are we going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? Lord, but you gave us descriptions of hell. But is it a reality to people? Is it a reality? No. Because most people, because they don't smell it, have seen it, have heard the screams, it's only words in a book that's been handed down from generation to generation, from culture, culture, society, society, civilization, civilization. You can't believe anything in this. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance of sin, which what? Clings. So that's going to take effort on our part. When discipline's administered, it is not a time to rejoice, but of grief and sorrow. But later it brings forth the fruit of peace to those who are trained in its school. Is there anything in your life you have to make a resolve about? A vice, nature abhors a vacuum. If you give up a vice, there's a virtue. But if you give up a virtue, there's a vice. Good habit, bad habit. What in our life we need to be disciplined in because... It'll cling to us like static electricity. And you may have to contend with it the rest of your physical life. I've known people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit that were alcoholic. I mean, the desire for alcohol left them completely. But they were still struggling with cigarettes. To the day they died, even with a bottle of oxygen, would go outside and just smoke. 
let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Chapter 12, Hebrews, verse 2. Let us keep our eyes fixed on who? Jesus, who inspires and does what? Perfect. So, every trial you go through, he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the author and the finisher. You think God is allowing you to go through that trial just to entertain him? Punish you? He has a purpose. How many of us complain along the way? When praise and optimism should rise first, before we question his love for us, because that's what you're doing, when we complain, we question his love and his faithfulness towards us. The sin of faith is doubt. The sin of hope is despair. We have been empowered as children of God. We have authority. Why aren't we using it? Because the vast majority of Christians are playing church. Believe, you know, religious people go to church. Christians are the church. So when we're discussing, God wants us to lay aside every encumbrance of sin. Why? To enable us to see his hand, hear his voice more readily, and be available so that his power can flow unrestricted through our arteries, our veins, and our capillary, and our valves, and our heart working, keeping us energized? Or do we need stents? Or are we asking God for a new heart? Do we just want to bypass? Or do we want a new heart? Oh, wait a minute. I may have to go through bypass surgery to get a new heart. But Lord, why did you just give him a new heart without the surgery? How God chooses to heal is his business, whether it's through medical science or divine. However, do you doubt your prayers? Do you question your prayers based on results? You don't know how God is working with them. Remember, the, the goal of faith is salvation. So when you're praying, are you praying in confidence and in assurance as a child of God? Or are we just wishy-washy? Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. I used to think for years I had, you know, the ministry of death. I prayed with people and they just got worse. They even told me not to come to their house. Can you come back? You left that demon over here. My own family. You got the life of Job. Man, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want no part of it. Heard that many times. We're called to be as children of God. And we have to have that understanding and have that remembrance. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul again warns Timothy. He reiterates this. He already told him. He spoke to him about this, but now he's bringing it back to his remembrance. Do not forget this. There will be terrible times in the last days. That's where we are. Men will be lovers of self and of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Look at the breakdown of marriages, the breakdown of families, the attitude of these youth. Ungrateful, profane, inhuman, implacable, slanderous, licentious, brutal, hating the good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, pompous, lovers of pleasure rather than of God as they make a what? Pretense of religion, but negate its what? Power but negate its power. We're a peculiar people because we're called to live a supernatural life 
because we're partakers of the divine nature. But when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, you have followed closely my teachings and my conduct. You have observed my resolution. Don't we talk about resolutions? Fidelity, patience, love, and endurance through what? Persecution and sufferings in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know what persecutions I've had to bear, and you know how the Lord saved me from what? Didn't he say all? He saved them from all of them, right? But yet he had to undergo persecution and sufferings. And if God's going to save us for him, do you think there's a particular reason and purpose that we're going through it? Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God's spiritual worship? To what degree am I willingly surrendering my body for abuse and misunderstanding? Suffering means inconvenience, and it means distraught. Anyone who wants to live a what type of life? Godly life, a righteous life, can expect to what? But all the while, evil men and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others themselves deceived. But you, for your part, must remain faithful to what you have learned and believed, because you know who your teachers were. One of the sad things, we send our kids off to college and we really don't know who their professors are going to be until they come home and say, I don't believe in God. Or I think I might be lesbian or I may be gay. What are they learning? What are they being taught? Likewise, from your infancy, you've known the sacred scripture, the source of what? Wisdom. Scripture. Which through faith in Christ Jesus leads to salvation. So these words upon this book is the source of wisdom which through faith in Christ Jesus. Not in the words of the book. It says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Spirit makes the words become alive. Logos is the written word. Rima is the living word. That's the power. God wants you to go from Logos, which is Greek, the written word, because it's just words on a book, in living words of power. And that can only be through Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired of God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in what? That's the ultimate goal for you and I. Holiness, removing the plaque from our life, walking in the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in a world that is destined for destruction. Nothing of this world you're going to take with you to heaven, and nothing of this world you're taking with you to hell. What we await are new heavens and a new earth where the justice of God will prevail. So that the man of God may be fully competent and equipped for every good work. So the key is, with your New Year's resolutions, is to walk in holiness, that the power of God may flow unrestricted and unhindered. The question is, to what degree is the world in us and we in the world? To what degree we know God is in us, completely and totally, but to what degree are we in God? We're talking about what, you know, when you're discussing something with someone, you know, and they're of another mindset per se. Theologically, meaning godly, theologically affirms scripture. 
So we're talking about the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. But geographically, it affirms history. And politically, affirms the nation of Israel. Scripture centers around Jesus Christ, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Israel, as it is a nation now, in the last days I'll bring my people together. Theologically, it affirms Scripture, prophecy. Wasn't that the first Advent candle? The candle of hope. But it was the prophecy candle. When we talk about elements of faith and peace, theologically, when you look at Scripture, the nation of Israel, the people of God, it affirms Scripture because of prophecy, but geographically it affirms history, where the nation is, where Jerusalem is, and politically affirms Israel's unquestionable and undeniable right to exist and claim Jerusalem as its capital. So what does that have to do with much of anything? In the last days, everything is centered around Jerusalem. But in the person of Jesus Christ, Scripture must come to pass. Prophecy. Because prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you want to know what things really are, what's going to be, you look at Scripture. But to what degree do you put faith in it when everything is contrary? He just said charlatans and liars are going to go from bad to worse. Look at the condition of what Paul is telling Timothy about the last days. We're in the midst of the fulfillment of prophecy. And when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see it. But he said, anyone who expects to live a godly life must expect persecution. So chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the apostolic charge is to you and I. We have been called to be missionaries and evangelists. That's your calling, to be witnesses. Confirmation empowers us to be witnesses. Because when you were baptized, you were a little child. Now... As an adult, knowing right from wrong, you voluntarily enlist in the army of God. You're a soldier of Christ. You're not just a child of God anymore. You are a soldier of Christ. And he gives you the weapons necessary. In verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is coming to judge the what? You ever heard that expression before? It's coming back to judge the living and the dead? And by his peering and kingly power, I charge you. He didn't ask him. He said, I charge you to preach the word, to stay with this task, whether convenient or inconvenient, correcting, reproving, appealing, constantly teaching and never losing patience. How many of us get frustrated over time because it's like knocking your head against a brick wall? Well, eventually, if you do it long enough, how hard your head is will determine those bricks breaking. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Don't we see that now? You know, church is a smorgasbord. The, the Bible is a smorgasbord. I pick and choose what I want to believe. They will not tolerate sound doctrine, but following their own desires will surround themselves with teachers who will tickle their ears. They will stop listening to the truth. 
and wander off to fables. As for you, be steady, self-possessed, put up with hardship, perform your work as an evangelist, fulfill your, are you and I today fulfilling that ministry God has called us to? Because when we stand before him in judgment, it's not the house we live in. It's not how much money we made. It's not going to be any of that. What's my education? Here's my portfolio, Lord. No. What was his commission? Go into the whole world and make disciples of all men. To what degree are we serious? To what degree are we serious and committed to making disciples? To informing people, even to correcting them. I don't like being corrected, but I know that it's needed and profitable for me. But at the time, you have to humble yourself and be open-minded. You've got to be open-minded. First thing you want to do is be defensive. No, you've got to be open-minded. But you've got to stand on truth. Because God may be sending someone else to help enlighten you, correct you, for a greater work that lays before you. It's out of love. It's your attitude. But what is your ministry? How many of us, our days and our time are occupied by things that deal with this corporal body? Eating, drinking, clothing, shelter, food. But how many of us are more understanding that this world is not worthy of us? How many of us are aware that the ministry that God has given you he hasn't given to anyone else. It's your ministry. This is what he has called you to. What is your personal ministry? Are you aware of it? Have you sought God to reveal it to you, to show it to you? If we've been called to be as children of God, then what makes us so different than everyone else in the world? In the faith gospel, he says that there were those who didn't even pray for rescue from death, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They went about clothed in the garments of animals, lived in caves, for the world was not worthy of them. What happens when you're challenged in your comfort zone? Anybody? When we stand before God, to what degree will he see Jesus within us? Because when we see him, we shall know ourselves truly as we are, but we'll see him truly as he is. Holiness. When God is calling us to walk in holiness, our resolution. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But God wants us to be known to the world as his children. Because he has empowered us to be a blessing in this world that's under a curse. We stand as soldiers of Christ. Not just as intercessors, but we intervene. We stand in the gap. For there stood none to intervene and God was grieved in Isaiah. We're praying for the people's children, for their conversion, their salvation. We're coming against the voices that they're listening to that's influencing them in the angelic realm. Demons are still in the angelic realm because they're pure spirit. They're fallen, but they're pure spirit. We're in spiritual warfare. We have authority, we have power. Does anyone else know that besides ourselves? Do people come to you and ask for advice? Do people come and ask for your prayer, for your intercession? Because do they really know who you are or who they think you are? 
So in the area of holiness, if you would, turn with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the need for preparation. Isn't that what Advent is? The coming, preparing for the coming, huh? What's the first thing the call is to? Repentance. Repentance. Reform your lives and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. As regards specific times and moments, brothers, we do not need to write you. You know very well that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Just when people are saying peace and security, ruin will fall on them with the suddenness of pains overtaking a woman in labor, and there will be no escape. You are not in the dark. Brothers, that the day should catch you off guard like a thief. No, all of you are children of light and of the day. We belong neither to darkness nor to night. Therefore, let us not be asleep like the rest, but awake and sober. The key is sober. Why sobriety in this manner? Is scripture says, be sober and alert. For your opponent, the devil, goes forth as a roaring lion... Seeking those to whom he may devour. It's the things of the world that intoxicate us. Have no love for the world or the thing the world affords. In other words, don't put anything of this creation before God. But use it for greater good. Because if not, it's idolatry. Whether it's a person, a thing. It could be race. It could be politics. It could be many things. If it's opposed, if it's... In front of God, it's a separation, it's an idol. You can put your spouse, you can put your children, your grandchildren as an idol. Sleepers sleep by night and drunkards drink by night. We who live by day must be alert, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. That reverts back to Ephesians 6. God has not destined us for wrath, but for acquiring salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how many times throughout the scriptures it's emphasized salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He died for us, that is all of us, whether awake or asleep, together might live with him. Therefore comfort and upbuild one another indeed as you are doing. Christian conduct. Verse 12 we beg you, brothers, respect those among you whose task it is to exercise authority in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them with the greatest love because of their work. How many of us are praying for our political leaders, religious leaders? Remain at peace with one another. That takes work. i got siblings. i got people involved in my life. It takes effort. We exhort you to admonish the unruly. Correct. Cheer the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Be patient towards all. See that no one returns evil to any other, but always seek one another's good, and for that matter, the good of all. Rejoice always. It's not a suggestion. Cheerfulness prolongs one's life. In Proverbs, how many of us have a cheerful heart? Never cease praying. What occupies our time? Television? Render constant thanks, such is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Spirit. Why? Because God wants to use you. Don't stifle the Spirit. 
Other areas of Scripture says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit to whom you were sealed with unto the day of your redemption. Don't grieve Him. So what in our life could be grieving the Spirit? The areas we need to look to, to reform. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything, retain what is good, avoid any semblance of evil, and may the God of peace make you what? Perfect in holiness. God's desire is to bring us into holiness. Matthew, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for holiness. To what degree do we hunger and are we thirst? In Matthew chapter 6, turn with me. Matthew chapter 6. You know, it's amazing. Everybody thinks that 6 is a bad number. Because of 666, the mark of Antichrist. And in some hotels, they don't have a 13th floor. Groucho Marx said the only time 13 is an unlucky number is if you have invited 14 people and you only have 13 pork chops. So in chapter 6, true riches, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves an earthly treasure. Moths, rust, corrode. Thieves break in and steal, but make it your practice instead to store up heavenly treasure, which neither moths nor rust corrode nor thieves break in and steal. But remember, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Is Jesus Christ the center of your heart? The eye is the body's lamp. It's also said, the eyes are the wind of the soul. But if your eyes are good, your body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, your body will be in darkness. And if your light is darkness, how deep will the darkness be? No man can serve two masters. Whom is it you're serving? Do we have a disposition towards thanksgiving and gratitude and praise? Or negativity, pessimism, complaining? Are we... A contrast to this world. Do we bring hope? Do we help instill faith? Are we people of love? But are we people that utilize the power given to us under the authority in the name of Jesus Christ to do what? In my name you'll cast demons out. How many of us have taken authority over situations we see in individuals Would you like me to pray with you? You know, you're being oppressed. You know, the reason why you're depressed is because you don't have hope. So let's pray because I'm coming against that spirit that's oppressing you. Oh, no, it's just a mental state. Oh, it's just an emotional state. Oh, no, psychologically, this is what you need to do. Or, to what degree are you grounded in truth and recognize and realize we're in spiritual warfare... And we as a soldier of Christ, as a child of God, have been empowered with authority. And we utilize it for God's glory. You can't force it on people. But you could present it to them and offer it to them. My brother had came home and he was so intoxicated he couldn't stand up. And he was complaining and using some foul language. And my mother got so upset she was beginning to shake. And he said something, and she said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you lying devil, come out of him. My brother sobered up, just like that. Now, one of my other brothers was there. He sobered up so fast, 
it was like everyone was bewildered. My father comes in, okay, Elaine, what's going on? And my brother is as sober as can be. But it took her being pushed to the limit before she exercised it. Because she didn't consciously think about it because she was so caught up in the moment of his intoxication and his behavior. But when she was pushed to the limit, the Holy Spirit moved her. But it was in the name of Jesus Christ. How many people talk about they walk in the light, but they're in darkness? People don't know what darkness is. Brother Ray was telling me in the Navy when he was on an aircraft carrier that they would go at times to where all lights out. And it was a moonless night, cloudy. And they have the red lights on the inside of the ship. But everything's dark, you know, that the enemy can't visually spot you. He was walking on the flight deck and uh, walked into the nose of a fighter jet. Couldn't see his hand in front of his face. That's dark. Have we ever truly been in the dark? Because when you do, you lose your sense of time and space. What's up? What's done? You ever been caught in a snow blizzard? To where they call it a whiteout? You don't know where north or south, east, west. You don't know where it is, where it begins. They had a problem till someone invented a gyroscope. Because sometimes people would be flying upside down, not knowing it. Sometimes they'd be flying and the horizon looks like the sea. You can't tell the difference. We talk about optical illusion, but how dark is darkness? When people are spiritually dead right now, because the spirit doesn't die. They're spiritually alive, but they're in total, complete darkness. They're spiritually dead because they are estranged from Christ, the source of life. Do we have a burden for sinners? So this year, with resolution, the new year, are we going to be an optimist or pessimist? Are we going to be a source of encouragement? Remember, misery loves company. Are we going to be children of light? Remember, God knows well our weaknesses, our faults, and our sinfulness. And he calls us anyway. He knew Peter was going to deny him, but he didn't take back the keys of the kingdom. We learn from all mistakes. You learn from the past. You don't want to relive the past. You learn from it. But shame and guilt and fear, insecurity, inferiority shouldn't be a part of our life anymore. Because we're a new creature. We're a child of God. We move forward. We anticipate the coming of the Lord. We are preparing for it. But how many of us have a burden to go tell our neighbors, hey, a hurricane's coming. Let me help you. We need to pick up your lawn furniture. We need to have your windows secured. You need to have provisions. Remember, Johnny Appleseed, he didn't plant those trees for himself. He planted them for those that were coming behind him. What seeds are we planting? Because you never know when they're going to germinate. They may appear to be dormant, but I guarantee you, everything within that seed has what it takes to bear fruit, to be alive. So until you plant it, it's just being stored. It's time we plant what God has given us, where we are, as we are, in the measure of faith we are, in the knowledge of Scripture we are, and not compare ourselves to anyone else, and do what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen.